Hello, and welcome to Duck Blind. I'm Jill Schroeder, and this is our podcast from Grey Duck Gallery here in Austin, Texas. Today I'll be chatting with one of the founding members of Los Outsiders and a person who's done a ton of work behind the scenes for the Austin art community, Jaime Salvador Castillo. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jill. <laughs> so I thought I'd run through all the art hats that you've worn over the years. Um, feel free to jump in if I've gotten something wrong. Um, you got your UT undergrad at, at what year? 2005. 2005, so fine arts degree. Served on the Austin Art in Public Places panel for six years. Correct. And on the Catorial Board of Generous Art, was a founding member of Los Outsiders Art Collective. Do you guys know when you started? 15 years ago, so... Oh, wow. Yeah, do the math. We're not going to do the math. <laughs> <laughs> Um, was a portfolio advisor for young artists at Art House, which is now the Contemporary Austin. I didn't know that one. That was kind of cool to find out. Was a contributing arts writer for the Austin Chronicle, which I've always a- wanted to ask you about. Like, how how long did that last? And did you stop because they didn't pay you any money? Or it lasted about two years, and it was more about uh, getting into curatorial projects. But money was a factor too. But mostly yeah. curatorial. Oh, I guess. You don't want to be a curator and a critic at the same time, do you, really? Plus, there's only 24 hours in a day. (laughs) That's true. You do have children and a full-time job, (laughs) on top of all the things I'm reading about. You also created Eyes Got It, an art competition offering critical reviews and exhibition opportunities, and we will talk about that later. Um, You were a chair of the Arts Commission for the City of Austin for District 2. So that's done now, right? You're... Correct. I served for seven years. Okay. And that's all you can serve, and then they say so long? I could have squeezed out another year, but I was ready. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Have I missed anything? Have I covered... You covered it all, but I think I want to emphasize that as I was getting my BFA, I already had kids. And so I think that informed a lot of what I did after. Oh. Okay. Because that was kind of my question. It's like, I, clearly you're a person who wants the art community to thrive. So I was going to ask you what your motivation was. <laughs> and maybe which programs you are most proud of. My answer to the question is twofold. Uh, so as I mentioned, I, I, since I did have kids as, as I was going to school, and this was my like my early statement as an artist, was that, responsibility is a term that's constantly on my mind. So there's that aspect of like, what is it that I'm supposed to do as a responsible adult, as a responsible citizen, as a responsible artist. And then the other motivating factor was I was trying to figure out how the art world works. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm, I'm at the university, I'm getting my BFA and I'm being told about, sort of the New York art scene from professors that had New York careers. But then after I was getting close to graduating, I was like, am I supposed to get a master's next? Like, sure. What, what is that? And how do I prepare myself for that? And what does that mean coming, coming out of Austin? Um, so those were the two things was like thinking about responsibility and trying to figure out how the art world works. Okay. Um, and so a lot of it was like trying things out so that I could better understand. So 
as an artist, I was critical about the writing that was happening in town or maybe not happening. Yeah, that's always a problem. And I was encouraged or inspired by Mark Smith, who was at Flatbed, who did happen to write something. Um, This was probably the first year, maybe the second time that uh, Austin Museum of Art did the 20 to watch or 22 to watch. Yeah. And Mark Smith put out an article, and I'm forgetting where he published it, but, but challenging Austin, like, okay, we have enough artists in town. There's enough creative energy happening that, that artists are staying to make things happen. But now we need that critical dialogue to, to rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. And the timing just happened that I, was, I had just graduated I was going out to see shows because the friendships that I made were mostly with grad students and they were the ones having shows. Right. And here comes this challenge from, from Mark. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, what do I need in order to get into grad school? Well, I need to work out my critical muscles, my critical thinking skills. And, and, and so I started a blog and I was writing reviews about the shows that I was seeing. And so that was, that was the part of like, okay, how do I figure out what writing is about and how, how does that help artists be seen and understood? Mm. And then that led to other things that led to uh, meeting Los Outsiders and then curating a show. It's like the question became, how is it that exhibitions are put together? Successful <laughs> ones, right? And right. so we worked on that first show with, with Michael and Hector. We worked uh, on uh, Asa la Basura Se Separa, Art Crush Down in Nuevo Laredo. And I really enjoyed that process. And Mm -hmm. so I immediately figured out a couple of projects for myself. And I I curated uh, like three shows the following year. And again, same thing, trying to figure out like, how is it that exhibition, you know, exhibition proposals, inviting artists, convincing them to work with someone who's a nobody. Yeah. Were Um, the art spaces in Austin? No. uh, my, My first show was in San Antonio. Uh, the UTSA satellite space, the galleries or the university's um, gallery space okay. off campus. And I'm forgetting what my second and third ones were, but yeah, they were all outside of Austin. Wow, that's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't that harder? <laughs> or did you just know connections to those spaces? Or I think it was harder to get things done here. Uh, okay. Part of the challenge was like, yeah, the, uh, figuring out the logistics of working in a, in a city not my home base and right how does yeah how does that work and stuff like that but the recurring theme in austin is like there's not a lot of art spaces yeah (laughs) do you think that's still true proportionally yes oh to the population yeah do you think it's gotten better not really (laughs) if if we can go on a little tangent uh i remember jean claire van risen writing somewhere i feel like it was on her blog that she had very briefly about how she as a journalist would not review art shows happening at coffee shops. And I think that's kind of where we're at now. It's, it's a different scenario now, but I think that's kind of where we're at now. It's like artists have been able to find spaces and make things happen, but they're not quite the white cube. And so it's, it's interesting to, to break that down and, and figure out you know who's showing in the white cube and who's not and which one's artist run and which one's something else that also has a, a side room that has that shows art gotcha yeah <laughs> okay so status quo i guess but slightly different yeah <laughs> I, I was hoping i was looking for some 
I don't know. Silver linings, but... Silver linings is that, yeah, the more things change, the more things stay the same. (laughs) (laughs) Is there any, like, so all the years you've been here, have there been some things that maybe weren't there when you started or a program that wasn't there that is now? Like, are there any improvements that you see through the course of your time here? Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think about examples but i'm also thinking like i didn't answer what the other question that you asked me oh, about what, that I'm uh, proud yes of. yeah sorry <laughs> i just keep going <laughs> yeah. so i mean i can do either one so which, no no, what no do you talk hear about first? the program programs proud of programs or yeah things that i'm proud of uh yeah. i am proud of of working with art house and the team program that mm. was that was just really super fulfilling like you know some people told me that i should have been a teacher but i that's not what I was interested in, I was definitely interested in a creative job and working with the, te- the teens sort of fulfilled that, I don't know, perspective. Like, y- yes, I can help others see things that, that they are not seeing, but that I know that they'll enjoy. Mm-hmm. Introducing them to ideas or to materials or, or, or anything just that would put, the, put something in front of them and seeing when their brains click and the way their eyes light up. Yeah. That was just the best feeling. Yeah, yeah. So what was the like main purpose of the program? Was it like an arts education reach out? To yeah, you? Okay. It, it was an outreach program okay. to, to youth in, in, uh, in just in, in underfunded schools in, in yeah. Austin. That there didn't was, have arts programs or? or? Or less access to arts programs. Okay. Um, yeah, that was the focus. It was actually started originally, it was... It was I don't know if it started, but it was definitely kick, uh, inspired by Deborah Roberts. Oh, Deborah, really? Yeah, Deborah Roberts is the one that went to Art House and challenged them. I'm like, hey, we need a teen program. That's so cool. Yeah. I knew you'd have little nuggets like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I believe Deborah Roberts was the first portfolio advisor. And then uh, Eduardo de Munoz, he's a photographer. Mm-hmm. He taught at St. Ed's for a while, if he's not still there. Um, he became the portfolio advisor for a little bit, and and Catherine O'Neill, who was the art education program manager at Art House, she brought a tour to Mexicarte, where I was back when I was still making art. Yeah, <laughs> I was at the at the YLA at Mexicarte that year, and uh, we did an artist talk, and then a couple months later, she's asking me, "Hey, do you want to be? Would you be interested in being portfolio advisor?" So. That's so cool. So that was the first proud one. The second proud one is I got it. And it's, <laughs> and it's a similar situation where, where you know, I, I, I understand that artists need feedback. They need a support system. Yeah. And, and being able to provide both of those things to artists and, and seeing them talk to each other and, and making connections. And I, I still remember that one year where we had like three Rachels and they were like all hanging out. A, you know the following year and, and right. staying in touch and so for those people who don't know um what i got it is was can you just give like a brief synopsis of of the contest i mean <laughs> you know i should give a disclaimer because gray duck was the grand prize from year two to several years later so yeah thanks. i guess i could do it too but i'm gonna ask you yeah, to do th- it <laughs> thanks for being the sponsor for the grand prize all those years i really appreciate it it's been a wonderful partnership thank you yeah uh awesome. i's got it in a nutshell was american idol for visual arts oh i like your change i like that <laughs> that was the original spiel 
but then I, but then as I was I was I was recruiting judges, they would be like, "Oh, do I get to be Simon or do I get to be?" I'm like, "Okay, that's not exactly what we're talking about here." Right. Um, no meanies. But yeah, so it's a panel of judges. It's an open call. They're and they're selecting artists for the grand prize, which is was which was a solo show here at Grey Duck, and they go through three rounds of elimination. It's all done live in front of an audience. The first round was done digitally, so we could cut down mm. on, on who gets actual um, time in the space. The second round was done live, where the judges were talking about the artists, the top ten, usually the top ten, see what, what brought them to the top. And then round three were studio visits, where artists could have you know, three to five works in the room with the judges, and the judges just asking them questions. And, and that, was the, that was the main part that was broadcast to the audience that really I think, added that little extra something to, to the event. Yeah. I have to That's say that, like, I, I mean, for me personally, it was a good program because I was exposed to so many artists that I didn't know already. And, and some of the top tens got shows, you know, secret. <laughs> um, <laughs> just because I hadn't seen them before. Yeah. And, and I was really excited about their work. So, yeah, I mean, for me personally, it was great. You know, but I, I did seem to think that, you know, like there's UT artists that I didn't know. And I, so I, oh yeah, I can look at UT artists. And so I feel like you've helped me <laughs> expand my horizons to all sorts of like different cities or different places to look for artists. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I, ha- I had similar experience too. Like, especially that first year was like, where are these artists coming from? Cause, cause I had been attending art openings in Austin, you know, regularly. Yeah. And some of these artists that applied, I'm like, where did they come from? And they, some great work. And yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm trying to capture, like you go to almost every, every opening and I run into you and occasionally we talk about whatever's happening in the art world. Like what prompted me to kind of start this conversation was we were talking about how um, UT went from a three-year program to a two-year program. And then you kind of opened my eyes to that's going to change like the whole entire community. Like, and then I was like, oh yeah, they won't be as connected to the city you know, they might not live here for a few years or, you know, they won't have as much time to um, exhibit if that's what they wanted to do. And and I was like, what else? Like, what else, like, things do we think are, like, not a big deal yeah. but change things in big ways? Are there any other, like, things you can think of that way? I mean, I know it's a big question, but... That is a big question. But it's also, like, I, I kind of want to give us a little bit of... of of space with that idea. I want to repeat it so that others hear it as well. Is that I, that observation of of UT going specifically the fine art, the studio art program? Oh yes, going from yes. three years to two years. What that means, what that meant from my perspective was that when it was a three year program, I would see grad students in that third year because they had a little bit of of breathing room mm-hmm. and they would attend openings. Um, and now that it's a two year program. I really don't see the grad students. I mean, if I go to the VAC. the openings that are associated with the oh, university, yes, yes. I would see them, right? I'm, I, I could deduce who's who, but if they just go to, I don't know, maybe yours, but not really. Uh, if I go to Almost Real Things or if I go to uh, Artist Co., Contra Commons out in B Caves, 
I don't think I would be able to identify, oh, that's a grad student at right. UT. Right. Um, and so that third year really was sort of a, a catch your breath for the artists and f- let them figure out what they're going to do next. And now that it's a two-year program, again, from my perspective, is that they don't have that time. They, they have to know what they're doing by the time they get to the second yeah. year. They have to know if they're going to move crazy. on or if they're going to stay in town. Right. And so they don't have that, that luxury of, of figuring things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that changes things, right? Because if we look at Mass Gallery, that was started by a bunch of UT grad students. Yeah. Um, I don't know that any of them are still involved. You know, they've, they've, the membership has turned over so many times. Sure. But yeah, like I don't see any current grad students doing some similar thing. I know Shed Shows is Yeah, I was just going to say thing, Shed Show. But that's um, also like, it's basically on campus. So like. Sure. They lose points for that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in my grants, you know, in my, my big game board of, of, uh, of Risk, I've never played Risk, but I'm imagining it as a big. You know, <laughs> I can't believe you've never played Risk. Um, I was going to say all of a sudden, but that was run by an UT undergrad person, I think. Not, and I'm not even familiar with that. Oh, wow. Okay, huh? I think they've stopped programming. Yeah. If I could be mistaken, but I think they have stopped. But yeah, I would say you know that that spirit is still present, right? Whether it's undergrad or grad students or just artists who have moved here that spirit of wanting to create a space for art Mm -hmm. that's that's ever present yeah but it's finding the ones that that can last longer than a few years that i think it's more challenging oh i agree i mean not everyone's going to be collab right but i mean i feel like some spaces aren't intended to last a long time i mean that's when they go into it, yeah, they think, you know, two years and we'll see. That's what I thought when I started. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Longest two years of your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, are there any other things? Like, I was trying to rack my brain about, like, these hidden consequences of things that happen that kind of freak me out. Um, well, I, it's it's hard to talk about affordability, but yeah, if if artists don't have day jobs that really give them the leeway to to stay up all night and paint or dance or whatever it is their their art form is, right? Then it's harder to see that manifest, and that's harder to to identify. But I I know that that's another aspect of of what we're dealing with. Well, and hence the less spaces because. When I first got here, I mean, yeah, it was mass. There was a like sofa gallery. Like there mm-hmm. was all these. I mean, apartment galleries, and um, it just seemed like there was more spaces. A lot of them were not air conditioned, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess some of them are not air conditioning now. But um, yeah, there just seemed to be more of a plethora of them before because it was affordable. Yeah, affordable in all the senses. Like the rent was doable had the the space to throw a party you know and there were crappy spaces that weren't being developed yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. so um i'm i mostly brought you here because you've been here a while i don't want to age you or anything but um and and i know we can't fit the history of the austin art scene in like 20 minutes yeah but like are there spaces or um events or programs 
that like stick out to you that like people who are just coming into the art scene now should know about? Yeah. Well, I'm already mentioned the, the 20 to watch by Austin museum of art. Yeah. And it was an interesting time. The, the like 2005 to 2010, cause Amoa was doing that. Art House was doing the, I think they called it the New American Talent. It was the, the annual yeah, group show. Yeah, I remember that too. Nationwide Call. And then uh, the Blanton was trying really hard and they had uh, that space. Oh, the experimental space yeah, for that, local artists. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Wow. So really was the 20 to watch, but that, that whole energy of those, those three institutions trying to do something for the local creative community. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys from Booze Fox. <laughs> I don't even know this. What is this? <laughs> uh, so one year, Fusebox invited this group of artists. Uh, Jules Book Jones is the one that I remember the most. It was, it was a group of them. There was that space next to Colab. I'm forgetting what it was called now. On Allen Street? Yeah, they, it was like a, it's fenced in and uh, they had monophonous press was in there. But anyways, these guys had studio space there. Okay. And they created this like giant like dragon out of cardboard. And it was just it was amazing. And then like a year or two after that, they did a public art project. They had a floating uh I don't even know what to call it, like a, a flo- I want to say flotilla, but it was it was an iceberg that they <laughs> you know, they had like this uh barge that they built up to look like an iceberg and they had it floating down in the river. In the river, Ladybird Lake. Yeah, they, they had a flow. It was, I don't know, it was, a, it was an amazing project. <laughs> it sticks out in my mind. I mean, there, everyone knows Bailey Lou's Thirst, the tree yes, that was hanging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, Before ele- that. That was very elegant. Uh, Booze Fox was like <laughs> almost a party, party boat, it was, but it was pretty awesome. Okay. In its own respect, yeah. And was it an event? <laughs> like people hung out on the side of the rivers while it floated down, or did they just throw it in and... They did. I think they did two or three like floats, like up and they would did up and down. Gotcha. But I, I did attend one where they were like, they 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 canoed people over to the to the boat. I'm assuming the city did not know about this. No, they did. They got they permits. Did? They got oh, permits. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! It was all on the up and up. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Booze fox. Yeah. It's like it's not a it's not a a, a true reversal of fuse box, but. Okay. Booze Fox. Because, yeah, I mean, when I was thinking of way back when collectives, it was, um, oh my gosh, now I'm going to forget. Ink Tank? Oh, Ink Tank. Wow. <laughs> no, before Ink Tank. Um, Sterling was in it. Sterling and... OK Mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK Mountain. Even before them was uh, Open Doors. Oh, I don't know Open and, Doors. And be- actually, before Open Doors, it was this group of grads, four to six grad students who were able to get the Omni. The Omni was not finished, not built yet. And mm-hmm. they, they convinced them to give them some space. And they did these wonderful installations. Barna Cantor, Lynn Richardson, Catalin Hassel. I'm forgetting the other two or three. But they, they did some installations down there. And then Open Doors was a group of younger artists, Open Doors Collective. And, and then they, the following year, they convinced Omni to give them some space. And they also had some... They had done other installations at one, at one of the, the artists' house. They, they did a huge installation, and then uh, they followed it up with the Omni installation. And they're, they're, they're mainly the ones that inspired me to, like, like yeah, I need to get together with, a, with other artists. And, and, and do a collective. And do something bigger. 
Because I knew okay. bigger than what I could accomplish by myself. Right. Coincidence, luck, fate, whatever. I found Michael and Hector. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Michael told us a little bit. I mean, if, if you all continually listen to these podcasts, I don't know if you do or not, but, but Michael talked about how, how you all met and, um, and then Robert came along mm-hmm. later. But uh, you had said Art House, Omoa, and the Blanton was kind of trying. What about like independent spaces throughout history? I mean, like I'm thinking Volatant. Do you remember Volatant? Yes. You make, <laughs> you're making a face. <laughs> I don't know who was involved in that. Um, and I feel like I was the only one that, that caught this. But when they first announced that space, they had a very braggadocious tone. And they were like, they were like we're going to be the best gallery in Austin and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, after they opened, they, they removed that, that statement from their website. But I, I clearly remember reading it. <laughs> And they had, you know, the it was a retail space, right? So they had these like hideous marble floors and just like <laughs> I don't know. When I first moved here, I mean I, I live downtown, so I you know, I found that space right away. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is really cool. I mean it, I don't know. I just remember an exhibition with like clocks in one of the smaller rooms and they're all ticking and yeah. um it was pretty cool. I, wasn't they- Sean Gallagher part of that? Yeah, Sean. Sean was the installer, and Sochi was like the gallery. Ah, uh, yeah. And was it Leslie Moody Castro? In she there too, she may maybe? have been involved to a lesser extent. Okay. But I remember the, the Sochi and Sean for sure. And it was it was again during that time when when Amoa and and Art House and the Blanton were trying to do things. Um, independent spaces were were popping up, and Volaton just came in at a time where we had a lot of energy, but it was also like. If you think about the Austin skyline, there was not a lot. Right. It and was pretty sad downtown. <laughs> it was. And I remember the, the one sky high rise that was proposed, and it was supposed to be the tallest building in Austin. And it just had this like out, outlandish design. And again, Jean Claire, she wrote, she, you know, put out on her blog, she was like, what do y'all think about this building? And I was, and I actually commented, I was like, it's a great design. But it stands out too much, and it shouts out, you know, like it's trying too hard. Mm-hmm. And that that was volatile for me too at the time. Was like, yeah, it's great that you're bringing these great works in town, but yeah, you're trying too hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, not to change the subject, but you mentioned Jean Claire a uh-huh. number of times, and Sightlines has just recently um, closed. Yeah. What the hell are we gonna do? Like, <laughs> like where are we gonna get art art writing? Yeah, that's... you want to start that up again, or <laughs> um, maybe when I started writing in my personal blog, I I also did it sort of in, with the cover of anonymity. That's right. Which I probably didn't even really need, but it was fun creatively for me to have this alter ego that that. I just split my name. I, I use my middle name to write, and then that's why I use my full name now to, to help minimize the confusion about who is who, because they're both me. Yeah. And with that anonymity, I could actually say the things that I was thinking without explaining it too much. And because it was the internet, I understand how the internet works, right? Like, if, if you put something, it's like those game ads that you get 
they show you an example of someone playing it wrong so that you get annoyed yes and you want to download it and play it so that you can show them how easy it is to play the game right 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 and so i had a little bit of that sprinkled in my writing where i would sometimes say things that i knew were not right to get comments on the blog <laughs> and i was successful cuz people would comment <laughs> And I, I don't know that that, that approach to, to writing is, is appropriate anymore. Yeah, I can see that. But. But, but we definitely need a platform for thoughts to be exchanged, for consideration of, of the work that's being shown. I know folks have, have floated ideas that maybe the institutions should create a publication and a critical publication and I'm like they are already providing critical discourse by presenting the shows like that right, is right that is the critical discourse um so it's weird to ask them to also do something right right yeah. about it mm-hmm. so like so there's an opportunity but I know that the the money is the issue it's like figuring out how to convince people to give money so that someone can actually write and eat <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I guess Glass Tires figured it out, essentially, right? To I mean, a certain extent. They it, have a small staff. They seem to be... And, and it's been going on for years, so they've been able to build up some sort of, yeah. you know, stable, pseudo-stable stable support, where someone starting now, like, going to really have a, a hard time. I agree. It takes so long to get established. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll have to solve that one another day. <laughs> On the to-do list. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. I still feel like we didn't cover as much as... I don't know. It's so... (laughs) Yeah, maybe we should turn this into like a weekly thing. Just meet up for coffee. (laughs) (laughs) We can just talk about the shows we've seen. Yeah. (laughs) Why not? Speaking of solving uh, art criticism journalism in Austin. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Although I, I think I'd get myself in some trouble, but <laughs> trouble is fun sometimes. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> well, thank you, Jill, for having me. This has been great. Yeah, yeah, thank you. This, yeah. yeah, I always enjoy chatting with you. I want to thank Jaime Salvador Casio for joining me on the podcast. I would also like to thank Scott David Gordon for producing the show and the Black Drum Set for letting us use their song "A Dangerous Drive." Thank you so much for listening. 